Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning. The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. And uh, I would urge you, I would suggest, find a place to serve. There's a lot of places to serve here. And we have a high percentage of people that serve. But once a month, you can hold a baby. Once a month, you can work with toddlers. Once a month, you could help. There's just 100 places you could help. So go out to the lobby and find some of those places. Everybody got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Let's see it. Very good. Father, as we study your word today, we study welcoming God. Help us to learn today. Do what we could never do in our own power. Change us in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Could you guys pull the screen up on the back for me? Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Genesis chapter 18, welcoming God. You folks watching online, we're glad to have you too. I'm reading out a New American Standard. It says, now the Lord appeared to Moses, to Moses. You don't have to be smart to do this. That's why I try to read it to get it right. It's Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, which is Hebron. While he was sitting at the tent at the heat of the day. When Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, there were three men. How many men? Standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I've found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest, everyone say rest. Rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. After that, you may go on. Since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly prepare three measures. How many measures? A fine flour. Knead it and make breakfast cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf, gave it to his servant, and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. And when they said to him, well, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, she's there in the tent. Now, is it possible that you could learn to do this? Do what? Learn to welcome the presence of God. Many of you have never heard about this. You don't even know what we're talking about. Well, I'll explain it as best I could. Now, this man, Abraham, in the very next chapter, you see a little window into his devotional life. Read the verse with me in Greek. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, He returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. What does that verse say? He was a man of prayer. He did it first thing in the morning. He went to a specific place. And he met God there. That's a great pattern for us. Now, this is the most important thing I'm going to say to you, and I want everyone to write it down on your outline. If you take notes, you will learn three times as much. The Spirit of the Lord is attracted. 
also repel, but the Spirit of the Lord is to tr- attracted to certain people and to certain places. I pray when he looks at 1301 Brandon Road that he goes, those are my people that love me and I'm going to show up right there. Now this is so important today. I want you to pay attention. Try not to daydream. Talk to the Lord as we walk through this study because I believe if you learn to welcome the art, the skill of welcoming the presence of God, it will change your life. And anybody can do this. You may be 14, you may be 74. Anybody can do this. We're all on equal footing. Now let's start by asking you a really hard question. And the question is, are you hospitable? What are you talking about? The art of hospitality is a big deal in Scripture. It's a big deal around the world. Unfortunately, it's not a big deal to American Christians. We just do not get it. Paul talked about practicing, everyone say practicing, hospitality, which means there's a learning curve. It's something you have to invest in, something you have to give yourself to. Now, here's the definition, Webster's definition of hospitality. I don't like to give you terms without defining it. Hospitality is the friendly, everyone say friendly, and it is the generous reception of guests. Titus says this, somebody that wants to be in ministry, somebody wants to be an overseer, somebody wants to be an elder, Somebody wants to be in ministry. You, this is one of the qualifications. If this is not part of their heart, they may not care about the people. Another question. I ask a lot of questions. Are you using your home for God's purposes or are you confused? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you confused or not? Are you confused? Your home is not for you. If you think your home is for your purposes, you do not understand the kingdom. Where you live, you are a missionary. The subdivision or apartment complex where you live, you may be the only Christian there, which means you are the pastor, the shepherd, the evangelist, the apostle to those people. You have a mission. You have assignment. Now, I'm going to throw water on your party. Forgive me, but I like doing it. It's fun. If the only people you have over to your house are your buddies, you're missing it. If the only people you have over to your house or your family, your kids, your cousins, you get no credit in heaven for that. Jesus said this, if you throw a party, here's who you should invite. The lame, the lost the least, and the lonely. And you will have great reward in heaven. Hospitality in America is not a value at this point. In my grandparents' generation, it was a value. Every Sunday, my grandmother, and it went to my mother, would have a huge table And they would bring people to Sunday lunch, different people every week. After my conversion, my mother and grandmother were always surprised at the number of strays I rounded up and said, a little more cornbread, please. By the way, the table 
is the first symbol of the Christian church before the cross. Did you know that? The table. The table. Around the globe, people value hospitality. Muslims are far better at it than Christians. Hindus are far better at hospitality than Christians. What happened to middle class, lower class, upper class Christians? They got garage doors. People used to sit on the front porch. They used to know the names of all the kids. They used to know everything. You couldn't misbehave, you know, 60 years ago without you getting spanked by somebody down the street. But today we have garage door openers. People get home at 530, 5.30, 6 o'clock. They raise their garage door. They go in. They close the door. They watch TV. They eat a meal. And they are oblivious to the people across the street. Not so around the globe. I've had the privilege to travel and love people through missions for a long time. This is a mission-sending, mission-loving church. But I have been places where I've been invited to homes, homes at the edge or in the center of the trash dump in the city. And I have seen people who don't eat meat because they're so poor kill a chicken to feed meat when they won't do that for their own children. And I have been shown such hospitality, such kindness, such generosity, I have been frankly shamed because people like you and me, you may be on a lower economic rung here, but you're a rich person there. And those that have so much offer so little to the stranger and to the broken. So your pastor wants you to think about hospitality. Now, our College Church of the Savior, I'm going to say this over and over and over. We love seekers. We're not a seeker-driven church. We love Bible teaching, but that's not our thrust. We love evangelism and missions, but that's not what's first. Our calling is to be a presence-based church. Everyone say presence-based. That tells you right off the bat. Well, whose presence? Well, here's the answer. It's his presence. And we want to give, he is the honored guest every time the doors are open. We want to honor his presence before we do anything else. That's what worship is about. That's what you do before you even come to the Lord's house. It's about acknowledging his presence. Now what's unusual about this is the Spirit of God is two things. He is both the guest that we welcome, and I welcome every single day, but he's also the host. He is the guest, and he is the host. So we recognize and welcome him but we recognize that he owns us, he owns the place, he owns everything, and what he thinks is preeminent above all. Now, that's not even the sermon. Can we get to the sermon? Thank you very much. Someone say amen. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, now let's get, to, let's get some principles from this about how to welcome God's presence. Point number one, it was just a regular day. It's a hot day in Hebron. Abraham may be taking a nap. And the Lord appears at his compound. By the way, he's got at least 318 servants that are warriors that can fight. He's got herdsmen. He's got flocks. He's got camels. There may be, fifth, there may be 500 to 750 people here. And so God appears. That's what he does. And the Spirit of God is always the initiator. He speaks to you before, he, before you speak to him. 
He's always done this. Let me just prove it. How many people in this room had a knowledge, had a tender heart toward the Lord as a child? Hold your hand up if you had a tender heart toward the Lord as a child. Look at that. How did that happen? The presence of the Lord was there even before you were born. When you were a knucklehead in college or an idiot in the the Marines, he was still there initiating with you. He's always been behind the scenes initiating, bringing people into your life, asking you questions, revealing things to you that you could have never figured out. So there's three men standing near. How near? I don't know. But three individuals came out of the eternal realm and were maybe 30 feet in front of him. Let me give you some definitions. A theophany is a theological word that means God the Father showed up. That's a theophany. A Christophany is when the Lord Jesus showed up. By the way, he shows up in every story. He shows up on every page of the Old Testament. That is called a Christophany. When this rascal Jacob, this cheater, this liar, this thief was running from God and about to get killed by his own brother, he met a spirit being on the other side of the river and they wrestled all night long and Finally, the spirit being said, well, you know, I'm kind of tired. I'm going back. Thump. His hip gets dislocated. He falls to the ground. He's still clutching the ankle of the spirit being. But Jacob said, I looked into the face of God. And he was a changed man. Now, this is what Abraham did. First thing, he saw them. Everyone say he saw them, which means he noticed. I think a lot of times we don't notice what God is doing because we're too busy. We've already got our plan for the day. And we don't see when he suddenly appears and he wants to do something, he wants to communicate. Next thing, Abraham jumped up and he ran to meet them. When the Lord shows up, timing is critical. Why is timing critical? Because if you don't notice, he's not going to hang around. And you may very well miss what he wants to do in your life that day. And there's no guarantee that he's going to come back and make the same offer again. Now, there's a verse from Hebrews. And would you repeat it with me, please? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See. Abraham bowed. He got on his face. He laid on the dirt. He is demonstrating two things, attitude and posture. Attitude and posture go hand in hand. It's amazing when you get on your knees, your heart flies open. It's amazing when you lift your hands up, your heart goes open. Attitude and posture puts you in a position to receive. D, of the three he called the leading figure Lord. The definition of Lord means ruler or boss. The question is, is he your ruler, your Lord today? Have you surrendered everything? Are you holding out? Are you resisting? Are you telling him no? It's one thing for him to be Savior. It's another thing for him to be Lord. E. He pled with the Lord. Saying, please 
do not pass me by. It shows us today, and it showed the Holy One that Abraham said, I want you here. I don't want you to go down there. I want you here. I want you to stay. I want a relationship with you. I believe we have in our city and nation an awakening coming. Everyone say amen. Amen. We need an awakening bed. Starts with an awakening where people suddenly realize, I need God bad. Then a revival comes. Then finally a harvest takes place. For one, I do not want him to pass our city up and work other places because he sees we don't want it. I don't want him to pass up 1301 Brandon Road because he knows we don't want him to do what he wants to do. We want him to do whatever he wants to do. F. He had a servant bring fresh water to wash their feet. What's that about? That's a practical need. If you've been working in a factory all day long and someone asks you to eat lunch, would you want to get your hands washed before you ate or not? These people in this time wore sandals and they were in the sand, the dust, and the dirt. And before they would come into someone else's house, get on someone else's expensive rug, they want their feet cleaned. Many places around the world, when I go into a church or go into somebody's home, it's customary, leave your shoes outside. Foot washing shows manners. It shows a courtesy in that culture. G. He invited them to stay and invited them to rest. It's an invitation to be refreshed. Have you ever been somewhere or been with somebody? You just can't relax. You go hang out with them and you're so drained by the time you leave. It's not life-giving. It is life-draining. There are some people that are life-giving, some people that are life-neutral, and there are some people that just drain the life out of you. He wanted them to come and relax, regroup. It's my prayer that God's Spirit would see this place and go, that's a place I want to hang out. That's a place that I certainly enjoy. H, he offered them hot bread. Now, as a southern boy, I'm not sure exactly, but I believe this is the actual bread that they were given. Someone say, help us, Lord. Biscuits and jelly. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Next, he runs to Miss Sarah, and he says, Mama. Someone say, Mama, for me. Mama, get out. The very finest flower, not the flower with the little bugs in, not the flower nobody else wants, but the flower we've been keeping special. And mama, we want some of those dinner rolls tonight. We want not one pan, not two pans, not three. We want three pans, maybe four pans. And we go ahead and get that recipe from that woman, Martha Stewart. <laughs> Let's have some dinner rolls tonight. And uh, this is a th- third thing I want to make sure I, I say, pay attention. Good food lowers people's defenses. Have you noticed? Good food lowers walls and helps people connect. That's a good, that's people 101. That works. Read the passage from Revelation 3.20. It's about 
we use it for evangelism, but it's really about whether the church will let the head of the church into the church. Say it with me, please. Whoever hears my and opens up, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. In the culture of the Middle East, if somebody allows you in their house, if somebody fixes you a meal, if somebody welcomes you, that means you are in. They will protect you. They will help you. They will keep you safe. They may even give their life. That is a culture of hospitality. A meal can open doors for you. A meal can open hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a guy, does anybody know who this is? This is a, a guy with a gift with the prophetic. I was at a meeting, bumped into him uh, 15 years ago. He called me out and prayed with me in a gentle way. And I have the prophetic word written down because they taped it. But he nailed me, or the Lord nailed me. And the clincher was, Steve, you will build your church and your ministry through your table. We were about 200 people at the time. And that has certainly proved to be true. So, I'm telling you, I may not be a great preacher, but I'm really good at lunch. <laughs> I got the gift. Some of you in the third grade weren't good at math, and you weren't good at spelling, but you got an A for recess. <laughs> Point number I. Abraham ran to the herd. We're talking about a lot of cattle. We're talking about camel, goats, sheep, a lot of servants, and picks the very best calf, turns to his chef and says, fire up the grill because we having steaks tonight. Yeah. For hors d'oeuvres is right here in the Bible. Find Jesus. I went to a house on Friday night. I'd never had this done before. And the host had two chefs and two waiters come to their house. White outfits, bow ties, four-course meal. I have no idea what it cost. I enjoyed every filthy moment of it. Again, I do lunch, I do supper really good. I do brunch, I just good, I got the gift. But the host put right in front of me at the coffee table a platter of about five kinds of cheeses and six kinds of crackers and all kind of ornate cuts of meat and olives. By the time I got up for my second course, it was half gone. And I said, bless the Lord. <laughs> Serve chocolate milk. I'm sure that's what he served, the three. It says milk. I read into it, okay? Chocolate. Is chocolate in the Bible, yes or no? Should it be? Yeah, yeah, should be. Offering your best to him and to others shows appreciation all over the world. So the scripture says, as each course was brought, as each course was served, and this was not a 30-minute lunch. Two hours, three hours, four hours. Maybe all day long. As it was brought, as it was served, as it was enjoyed, the scriptures suggest that Abraham didn't sit down. From a short distance away, he listened, he watched, 
And he hoped. Hope for what? He knew he had needs. He knew who was there. He knew something was going to happen. He just didn't know what and when and how. And maybe you're here today. And you're hoping for something. You're praying. You're stuck. You're hurt. You've got a need that's so impossible. If God doesn't show up, it's never going to happen for you. Well, the right one is at your table to help you. Now, here's a word that Abraham, it doesn't say it, but he demonstrated it. It's a word called deference. Can you say deference? It's a word that my grandmother's culture would have used, and we don't even know what it means. Do you know what the word deference means? It's how you treat other people. It's how you treat guests. It's how you prefer others over yourself. You have got the maturity at this point. It's okay if you don't eat. It's okay if you don't sit. It's okay if you don't have the best parking spot. It's okay if you are at the end of the line because other people are blessed. That's called deference. It's a wonderful trait to teach your children and your grandchildren. And if you learn the quality of deference, God will promote you. And I believe Abraham absolutely enjoyed the time because he watched them enjoying themselves. That's another mark of maturity. Now let's change gears for a minute. We're talking about hospitality We're talking about welcoming people, but we're talking about hospitality to the Spirit of God, welcoming the Spirit of God, hosting the presence of God. And there's a verse in Ephesians 4 that tells us we ought to be really careful about something that offends the Spirit of God, and it's called grieving the Holy Spirit. And, well, I don't understand what that means. Well, think, what if you grieved a guest that came to stay with you? I've been invited over the years and spent time with people that after I left, I was grieving. My heart was broken because I saw the mess, the pain, the struggle, how they were just stuck And they weren't listening to God, and it didn't look very good for their future. I felt grieved. Well, let me give you some phrases that might help you understand grieving the Holy Spirit. It'd be like being rude to a guest. One of the pictures, symbols of the Holy Spirit is the dove. Powerful but gentle. He doesn't like to hang around places where he is rudely treated or dishonored. Being uncaring, you can take him or leave him. Acting crassly, vulgar language. Do you use language at times that's inappropriate, that's crass and vulgar? I have people sometimes say, oh, I didn't know you were a pastor. I'm sorry I said that. Well, being a pastor has nothing to do with it. Somebody else heard it. That's the one you ought to apologize to. How about this one? You're just preoccupied, self-absorbed. You think it's about you. Honey, it's never about you. And the sooner you can tear that up and realize it's about him and about other people, the happier you're going to be. And to ignore your guest. They're staying 24 hours with you, but you don't even speak to them. 
You don't offer them anything. You don't try to help them. Or you're dishonoring. Or you got a critical tongue. Or you just complain all the time. You just complain all the time about how tough things are for you and why things aren't happening. Or you're ungrateful. Gratitude attracts the presence of God and attracts people. Or you're just contentious. Do you know what that means? Do you have any contentious friends? If they're in the room, don't look at them. I mean, you've got to walk on eggshells. You can never relax around them. They're just easily offended. You can't make a joke. You can't do anything with them. They just get all, they just get in your face. That's being contentious or angry. Are you an angry person? Are you angry about anything today? Well, do you like people like, do you like to hang out with people like this? Apparently, God's spirit doesn't either. Now, when God's Spirit does show up, He always has an agenda. Always. Well, what do you mean an agenda? Well, His agenda may just be to hang out with you because He loves you and He enjoys you. That is the ultimate compliment that He could give you. He just wants to be with you. He wants to love you. He wants to help you. He wants to relax with you. He wants to be refreshed by your worship, by your thanksgiving, by your attitude. Uh, and this is another important thing I want you to star on your outline. I want you to think about this. Apparently, the Spirit of God really, really, really enjoys hanging out with his friends. The book of James gives Abraham a huge compliment. Who is Abraham? Oh, that's the friend of God. That's the one that God looks forward to hanging out with. That's the one that God wants to walk out. That's the one that God wants to appear to and tell him secrets and reveal the things that's coming in the future. Now, that can be you. Now, I don't know who this little girl is. But she is my wife's favorite. And she is three. So about two weeks ago on a Friday, uh, she was hanging out at our house. And we just enjoy being with this little grand girl. And she, I'm working on my sermon. And she burst into my office. And she doesn't slow down. And she approaches me at my desk and she says, Hi, Papa, what you doing? And I told her what I was doing and she didn't even, she didn't slow down, she didn't think, she didn't ask. You know, she's about that tall. And so she put her left elbow on my desk and she put her right hand on the left armchair of my office chair and she bolted like a gymnast up into my lap. I mean, she's sitting on my left leg, then she's sitting on both of them, and she throws her legs up on my desk. <laughs> Must be a Pearson. <laughs> and here's what she said. I like being with you, Papa. Let's all say it together. <laughs> and look what happened to your old ornery pastor's heart it is turned to red goo I said baby I love being with you too that was the best hug can I tell you a secret about you you may not be able to believe this but it's true when you turn your eyes to heaven when you open your Bible, when you go for a prayer walk, when you sit in a chair in your bedroom, when you go to your porch and you worship, 
and you talk to your Father in heaven, it touches his heart so deeply. Because you are his favorite. He just wants you. He just wants you. And everything in your life is designed for one purpose. To push you toward his office door, his throne room. To lead you to his office chair and to cause you to get up in his lap and tell him how you're doing. Do you want to know God's agenda? Now, you're not going to ever know all of it, but would you like to know what he wants to tell you? Well, how do I do that? You've got to learn to welcome the presence of God. You've got to learn to make that a priority. That's got to be first in your life. Now, in the story, we're not going to read it because you've got to read it. There's two agenda items, not three, not one, but how many? Two agenda items. That the presence of God wants to communicate to the man of God. What are they? Okay, here, here's the first one. He just said, I'll be back 12 months to the day. I'll be back 12 months to the day. Right here. Right here. And your princess, Sarah, will be holding a little boy in her arm. And you've been waiting. You've been believing for 25 long years. And the scripture says it will be at the appointed time. Everyone say appointed time. Here's another thing you may want to write in your margin. God does not work on your time. Matter of fact, he doesn't care a lot about your time. Matter of fact, he thinks waiting is a pretty good deal for you because you learn to love, trust, and rest and just do what you should do until the appointed time comes. You cannot rush the appointed time. That's his to do. You pray, you worship, you fast, you worship, you pray, you thank, but it's appointed time. It's going to happen. And little Sarah, she laughed so hard her dentures fell out on the carpet. And... God heard her laugh, and God said to her husband, your wife just laughed. She thought that was funny. And so he said, Mama, did you laugh? No, no, I didn't laugh. Are you eavesdropping? No, I'm not eavesdropping. We're always having this conversation. And the Lord says, you did laugh. And she said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. No, I didn't. He said, well, tell you what we'll do. I'm going to give you the name of the child. The child is... The child's name will be, he who has the last laugh. So for the next 10 years, every time you go to a Kroger and that little fella's in the, in the, the, the deal there, they're going to say, are you the great-grandmother? Are you keeping this child? No, he's mine. Second thing's a hard thing. There's judgment right around the corner. And Abraham's beloved family, Lot, is right in line for the judgment. And I believe that our nation, unless we have an awakening, revival, unless we have a harvest, this country is in line for judgment. And the country that your parents or grandparents grew up with will be gone. Unless God's people pray. Because our nation's wickedness is far greater than Sodom and Gomorrah's ever was. But that's the bad news. The good news. He's looking for an intercessor. Someone to stand in the gap. Someone to believe. Someone that's on task. Somebody will get up every day and say, Lord, I'm going to agree with your will that you are merciful and good. And he is still looking today for intercessors. And that is our destiny. At Church of the Savior, 
We have a mission. We're on the wall. We have a watch. We have a responsibility. Are we great at it? Probably not, but we still have a mission. And I want you to say this phrase out loud. It's just five words. We pray because God One more time. We pray because God cares. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, right in this room, we're going to make a circle, chairs, and we're going to call out by name people that we love that need Jesus really bad. If you want to come Tuesday night, we're going to call out their names and ask for God's mercy to come and open their hearts. As a worship team, would you guys come on up? This is mysteriously puzzling, the next thing. As the three after the meal is over, it might be six o'clock, might be seven o'clock at night, as they get up and they start walking actually toward the valley, the Jordan Valley where Sodom and Gomorrah is. Abraham follows them. Abraham is a fourth person walking with them to the Jordan Valley. And the Lord says something mysterious out loud. You remember what he said? It's curious. It's mysterious. It's odd. Why would he say this? And I don't know if the two on either side are super beings or angels who they are. But one of them says to the other two, so Abraham can hear it. Shall I tell my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? Would you want to hear him say that? Or would it scare you? Why does the Lord ask questions? Does the Lord ask you questions? He asks me questions. He's asked me a lot of questions. Why does he ask you questions? It's because he goes, duh, I don't know what's going on. Which Steve would tell me so I could figure it out. He's asked questions for my benefit. So the Holy One stated, this is how I see things. Through this man's family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then he says, I've chosen Abraham because he has a responsibility in his family with his children. He doesn't have any children, but he will have children to his family, his children, his descendants, that he will command them. He will, you say, well, I can't command my kids. They're 35 and 40. They're not listening to a thing I say. You can pray for them. You can love them. You can intercede for them. And when they ask, you can tell them. You can live in front of them as a man or woman of faith to keep the way of the Lord. If you and I learn to do this, the Lord may pass everybody in Fayette County, but he'll stop at your house and say, Will you partner with me? I want a partner. And the closing promise may be for somebody in this room. What is it? When Sarah laughed, she later cried over what she heard that day. Is anything too hard for me? No. Now today, we're going to do this a little differently. You have the elements, the Lord's table here. If you, for some reason, did get them, there's some on tables right out there. But we're not going to take this together like we normally do. Because you or I may not be ready to take it. Because if you take the Lord's table, this is not a religious ceremony. This is you telling him that you're in. 
And if in your heart, if your heart is not right with God and you know that today, don't take communion. Please don't. Because this means I'm all in. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means I'm in. And if for a long time you've been grieving God's spirit because you've been treating him rudely, you've been ignoring him, you're not listening, he is really not Lord of your life, don't take this today, but wait. So during, we'll have some altar time where the altars are open. There's people here that will pray with you and counsel with you. But you may, when you get home today, be ready to do this. You may set this on your desk or in your vanity and go, Lord, I want you to deal with my heart. I'm confessing what I know to be wrong. And I want you to change me. And when you've done that, then take the Lord's table. And what this means is, the bread means his body broken so we can find wholeness. His blood means I've forgiven you and I want you to walk in holiness. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you that you are not only the honored guest, you are also the host that invites us. Holy Spirit, release your grace, your power across this room. Do whatever you wish today. Bring miracles, signs, and wonders, healing. I pray for anyone that's watching or anyone in this room that's never received Christ, that they would open their heart right now by saying, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I give you everything today. Do the unexpected today, Lord. Do a great work today. We want your presence badly in the name of Jesus. Now the altar is open for the next moments. We will close with a final worship song, but this is about you and him. You're welcome to come to the altar and take the Lord's table here. You can do it in the seat, but whatever he is saying, say yes to him.
step out and act. If he's asking you to take a step of faith, do it. If he's asking you to humble yourself, do it. If he's asking you to let go of something, do it. Tell him yes. You'll find him. he will meet you there. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all
praise the name of Jesus. Amen. He is the healer. He is the redeemer. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our friend and he is our father. I pray that you leave today encouraged by that and by our time together. As you leave, we would ask that you would just leave quietly as there are some people that are still down front um, that are spending some time with the Lord and uh, praying. And uh, if you need anything, we have people that are up front that are ready to talk to you, that are ready to pray with you. We're so grateful that you've come to worship with us today. We pray that you have a blessed week. Go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Have a great week.